0: You know what we need? I mean, besides bread.
1: We need a woman who appreciate what we have to offer. Freddie Shute loves to cut class. Hates to do homework. Lives for summer vacation.
0: Look, Freddie, you're a semi-charming guy and a real snappy dresser. You're just not the kind of guy I date anymore.
1: Yeah? What kind of guy are you dating now? Oh, the kind who of wears
0: socks. And the only reason he hasn't been expelled yet is because he's the gym teacher. Oh, Mr. Shoop, At Oceanfront High. Congratulations. You've been chosen to teach summer school. Oh, no, I'm not a real teacher. That's all right. These aren't real students. They're unmotivated, irresponsible, not too bright. They'll relate to you. You in this class, too? Mm-mm. I'm teaching them.
1: Welcome back to the B-Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Adam Kautzer, and with me today, as he is always, is your other co-host, Scott Phillips. And we are in the midst of a um, film series, a podcast film series that we're closing out the summer with called Summer of Comedy. Um, and today we are actually, it's a, it's kind of a twofold, um, it's just, it, it just kind of worked out because of the fact that we're doing two things. We're kind of, we're we're talking about Carl uh, Reiner's Summer School, um, a great comedy, a truly fun, fantastic comedy. I think that not enough people talk about, but we will talk about that in, in a bit also. Um, but also uh, just kind of like an ode to Carl Reiner um, as a legend who just recently passed uh, June 30th, literally almost a month ago. Um, he passed as we are recording this on august 2nd and he died june 30th um and just talking a little bit about the man himself who um like rodney dangerfield um was a legend himself, um, uh, like in his own right, um, as a star, and then became a director and had like this second career, this really big career um, as a as a comedic director, um, thanks in large part to a couple of stars that he um, that he worked with. But then also in his like a third, like like literally a third life again when he starred in um, Soderbergh's uh, Oceans trilogy. But we'll get to all of that in a bit but uh first i'm gonna hand it over to scott to talk a little bit about summer school and uh because i think that this is probably a movie that you actually saw like in the theaters it's not one that i saw in the theaters i of course was like the kid who saw it parentally on like because it was parentally on hbo but um were you able to see it in the theaters
0: oh yeah yeah absolutely i remember i actually uh took my now wife uh to see it uh in the the theaters i was looking here at the precise opening uh weekend uh and it is july 26th of 1987 uh so that would have been the summer between graduating from high school and going to college ah for me for me so uh, about a because we started later back then yes started college like you know labor day yeah, After exactly. Labor Day, yep. Yep, and so we were still, I don't know, a month and a half away uh, from uh, from me heading off to school. And so I know for a fact that we went to see it. I remember uh, seeing it together. Uh, and, uh, and it's funny because when you look at it, it, I mean, for me, it feels like such a time capsule of that time. Because, you know, I mean, anybody who was essentially portraying a senior <laughs> in <laughs> that movie— Uh, was me, you know, I mean, I was exactly, you know, those ages uh, would have been 18 in the summer of 87. So, uh, so it's a little bit of a time capsule trip back in time kind of thing. Uh, But yeah, we saw it in the theater. And then, you know, it became a perennial kind of HBO uh, movie that was on just all the time. And so it definitely became kind of one of my comfort food comedies, you know, where you could just at any point that you're, you know, flipping through the channels, it's on and you're like, oh, this is good. And so you stop and just watch it through to the end. Uh, so it'd been a while since I had probably seen the entire film, probably a good little while. Uh, but, you know, there's no telling how many times I've seen various scenes because it was just a... a uh, you know, kind of an HBO mainstay there for a while.
1: Yeah, like you would just pick it up. Um, you would literally pick it up around like, you know, like the, the twenty minute mark or the thirty minute mark and you'd just watch it to the end or you'd watch like fifteen minutes of it. Like uh uh this one, yeah, it was definitely an HBO um special for me. Like there were definitely movies that like, you know, HBO and Showtime had continually on rotation i mean it is no joke i know that our younger audiences are probably laughing saying that like you know like hbo is a streaming service now it's not really a cable station even though it still is but it's like before when they used to have only a finite amount of movies there weren't the like literal thousands of movies that they can just like, you know, show at any time. Now there were like movies that they just had, like they only had like a certain amount of movies. So summer school would be one of those movies like that you would see on all the time, at least Five or six times a week like that with like, say, like when they once they started showing the Michael J. Fox movies like um, like um, the secret of my success and like back to the future, like when they finally got those, they were right. going to play those all the time because they knew that that's what like, you know, it wasn't like you had it on a straining service at the time or even VHS like summer school was a rental. It wasn't, like, a a pay-through. It wasn't, like, something that cost $20. It was a $99 VHS if you, um like, when it first came out. Same thing with Back to the Future. It wasn't a sell-through movie. Like, they... They sold it to rental places. I mean, you could buy it for like $100 if you wanted to. Like, imagine that, guys. Like, you know, our younger audiences that you pay $100 in 1987. Exactly. 1987. Like, $100. So, no, you didn't do that. You either watched it on video or, like, you know, if you had, like, my dad, um, who loved to have, like, collections of stuff, he would record stuff off of cable or, you know. Sure. uh, Um, You know, like, uh, they didn't have all of the high tech,
0: uh, you know, dram stuff and all of that that could mess up your recordings and and things like that. You could just record straight off of HBO if you wanted to, uh, and uh, and a lot of people, you know, did, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, and, and people don't even remember the days of like when HBO wasn't 24 hours. Yep, and and so at the point that it went 24 hours, there was even greater repetition because you had all of those additional hours to fill, and so you'd have something like you know, uh, uh, summer school would play at like you know four o'clock in the afternoon one day, and then at like two a.m. a few days later, uh, so it would be at you know all different hours of the day, uh, as they're eventually trying to fill up 24 hour programming.
1: No, absolutely. And one of the things that I used to love about um, uh, like now thinking about it, and I wish I still had these tapes where like the ones where my dad would just record a six hour block because it wasn't the it wasn't necessarily the movies that he recorded. It was the in-between interstitial stuff because they always started things on the hour or on the half or on the 15s. And so like if a movie like, say, Summer School, which Uh, runs I think about 98 minutes uh uh uh, uh, yeah 97 minutes so like the soonest you could have like they always like to do things on the half or on the quarter and so like you would have eight minutes of interstitial things of like like they were doing their own advertisements like you know like something that's playing later on today at 4 Mm p.m. or Tuesday at five and they'd give you a mini trailer and um i remember the last time that i found like one of my dad's vhs's i just kind of popped it in for nostalgia's sake because i wanted to see i wanted to see the in-betweens and some of the in-betweens you're like that's what i want i don't want i didn't want married to the mob which you already recorded and i i've seen that movie a thousand times i wanted that like Wings Hauser two o'clock in the morning Vietnam movie that I've never <laughs> even fucking seen. That right. I'm like, what the fuck? How many Wings how many Vietnam Wings Hauser movies are there out there? Or or like how many Charles Bronson B B movie Canon movies there are that aren't Ten to Midnight? There are a yeah. fucking lot, and it's just it's funny how like that kind of stuff has been lost on an entire generation. But like for us, like I think of summer school and I think of that kind of stuff, like the weird minutiae around summer school for me is just as like melancholy and fun as the movie itself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's funny that you should mention the, uh, the way that HBO worked because, you know, uh, I hadn't even thought about kind of like all that lost content yeah, uh, in 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 the sense of, you know, cuz they would do little like making ofs, you yep. know, uh and to like tease you into wanting to see the movie itself when it aired later in the day. Yep. And so it'd be like uh it it was kind of reminiscent of this content that you get from some theater chains before movies start now in theaters. Mhm. You know, like let's go behind the scenes of whatever or another And, and you see interviews with people and a little behind the scenes footage. And then it's like, well, make sure to catch that when it airs, you know, later today at 7 PM or whatever. Uh, and, and so it was very similar to, to that kind of content. And, uh, and so, yeah, you're, you're right. You, uh, you know, got to the point that you kind of enjoyed that. It was kind of like having, you know, trailers in between, uh, uh, movies. Cause back then there was no, you know, you didn't go on. Uh, the site of your choice and sit there and watch trailers repeatedly. It's just like, you know, they aired when they aired and that was it.
1: No, absolutely. And, and that's how you got your, like you got some of your information about movies that were, that were less than a list because, you know, you had your A list movies and then you had your B and C list movies. And if like, you would either look at your TV guide or look at the cable guide that actually kind of bait, like gave you like a one line description of whatever it was. Sometimes it didn't even do that. It just said starring and it just gave you a star. Um, or like you had your TV guides or your local newspapers, like, you know, channel guide, um, you know, that you had to actually look into and actually see like HBO actually used to send out a mailer that would actually show the descriptions of certain movies that they were have, like they, all of their movies that they were showing. If you had a subscription to HBO, you got this like little flyer and it was yep. like very utilitarian. It just said like, like as an example, like we haven't talked about what summer school is and it would be literally something like this, like, like IMDB's plot synopsis for uh, summer school is uh phrase shoot, the gym teacher, has uh has to teach remedial uh english in the summer uh in the summer if he wants tenure um as he can only teach gym and his students want fun emphasis on field trips until he he's fired unless uh, all of his students pass the test wow that's a really bad description i just (laughs) saw from fucking that's the top description from fucking imdb IMDb, imdb uh get a copy editor um because that shit sounds like it was written by um somebody with remedial english um like seriously guys come on but anyways but i mean it would be that kind of utilitarian and you would kind of go through it and you'd become your own mini curator because you needed to like it was literally appointment viewing like if you wanted to watch unless you unless you recorded it Um, which, you know, at the time, VHS tapes were expensive. And, like, my dad, like, those were his fucking things. Like, you didn't touch his VHS tapes. He wanted to record something, he would record something. I didn't get to record things. So, like, it had to be appointment viewing. Like, it's like, okay, so, you know, um, I don't know, like, let's just say... Like just as an example, like I was using Michael J. Fox, the secret of my success, like I like I was a huge Michael J. Fox kid. I loved him. And uh, like, you know, say like that movie showed on Saturday at 11 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, you know what? I hope to God that my like, you know, that I didn't have to do something with my parents and that I was around at 11 o'clock because then it's HBO and I'm watching that movie. Right. You know, it's not it wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna go ahead and put a VHS and record. No, no, my dad would have my ass. Like it's like whatever he wanted to record, those were his VHS because you know, they were what eight bucks a pop. And at the time in nineteen eighty seven, like eight is what equivalent to probably like what today is standards is fifteen to twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. So I can I can completely understand that. Um but eventually like, which is funny, like we're getting into the minutia of VHS culture, is that my dad, knowing that this stuff, he would buy me the cheap ass tapes and he he keep the ch- good Sony and Maxwell right, super right. VHS fucking things for himself, um, which was like pissed me off. Or if I was lucky, like the thing was, was at a certain point, And I know this is going to even sound weirder, but you're going to laugh at this is that my dad let like when VHS became the thing, my dad let me record on his beta max, which thinking about it now is the whole is the stupidest thing because beta was always better than VHS, but because VHS was like, you know, more readily available, he just, mm-hmm. like, literally, like, the Betamax machine was the machine that I could record things on. So, like, I had, like, he gave me, like, a stack of 20 tapes. And so, like, I could record on them. So I had different things, like, recorded. But um, it's just funny to think about that, that, like, beta was, like, the superior format. And he gave me those tapes, but... Right. um. But like, it wasn't the popular format. Exactly. So that was the key. Exactly. And then once the Betamax machine broke, um, it was it was uh, like you know I I got cheap VHS tapes that like you know I record Jake Speed on or some shit like that. Like it was never. <laughs> they were always like you know my taste is my taste have never really changed. Like they've changed. They've evolved. But like what started off was like you know the healthy diet of B movies and like you know like any like any parent like that that shit was disposable like like he wanted he wanted the natural like, you know, that's what he wanted. Like, he got his, like, best tape to record the natural, and then, like, gave me the shitty tapes to record whatever the fucking Running Man or Commando, <laughs> you know, or whatever Charles Bronson movie was on, or whatever, like, Corman produced sci fi, the sorceress, or the, uh, or, like, you know, uh, the so- uh, sorcerer in the sword, or whatever the hell else that I wanted to watch. So it was a kind of an interesting it was an interesting era to say the least. And I definitely remember recording summer school once I had a chance to record it because it's just a
0: very, it's a very eighties comedy. Yes, it's, it's, you know, thematically uh, just, of course the look and the fashion and whatnot of it is like I said, just kind of like a time capsule. But you know, the one thing that you notice when, or at least I do revisiting some of these films, like back to school Uh, summer school now Mm -hmm. is how they weren't mean-spirited
1: no no absolutely
0: you know the the interesting thing is 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 these days everything is like so sarcastic and you know playing horrible you know cruelty jokes on each other and you know all kinds of just like crude embarrassing kind of scenarios and I mean don't get me wrong I'm not some kind of you know, prude or something. I mean, I laugh at that stuff too if it's well executed and it's funny, but it's just an interesting look at tone and kind of how the comedy was back then. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I mean, because in the end, you know, this is about a group of people that are kind of pulling together. They, you know, they each have their own issues. They each have their own quirks and problems. And so instead of it being something about just kind of making mean the fun of all these different characters it's more like you know you have some kind of good natured ribbing a little bit uh, about whatever their issue is and then everybody's pulling together to try to fix it
1: no absolutely and so
0: it, it, it but you know it's also it's I mean you know not to get like too political and too heavy over something that's like summer school but it's also a good look at kind of what the country was like then yeah. You know, because I mean, it was. I mean, you know, it's like society has devolved since this uh, occurred. If you think about what a, you know, me first uh, kind of country that we've become, and, you know, my rights matter most and what I can do uh, matters most and everything, that creates division. And so if you look in the 80s, I mean, as a country, we were still kind of more of a, well, let's pull together. Uh, and defeat some common enemy or some common issue or something like that, and so you can almost see it uh within the styles of comedy
1: no absolutely and um like a further point of it is like and it's very interesting to watch this movie is that um the the emphasis in this movie is about the like. Like, these kids, like, what, what I find the most modern of, uh, of things in this movie is the fact that, like, ultimately, like, Carl Reiner as a director is interested in, in like, what I find interesting is, is that, like, when I look at Carl Reiner's career as a director, he's very interested in the, the outcasts of society. And how they want to be a part of society and how society shuns them continually. Yeah. And summer school is very much so about these groups of kids that society has rejected and have automatically labeled as troublesome. And it's only through uh, Mr. Shoup and him getting to know these kids, but then also like the fact that like there's a point where he really actually starts to genuinely care that these mm-hmm. kids are better than what the system has, has labeled them as. And yeah. it's, it's, that's a really modern, modern take and, and an empathetic take on, on kids in high school, because like, well, at the, you know, oh, go, and, ahead. Oh, and, go ahead. Well, sorry, I was going to say, if
0: you, if, if you look at things, you know, it's, It's a matter of like everything in life. It's a matter of degree. Yes. And so it's like like Chainsaw and Dave at this point in time are kind of portrayed as and viewed by their classmates as, oh, my gosh, those are the, you know, special effects weirdos with all their crazy movie stuff. But they're just kind of chuckled at or, you know, kind of just knowingly shaking your head or, you know, there's tolerance there. Yeah. You know, these days, if, if those two characters existed, they would be persecuted to the point that they'd be the next school shooters. Yep. You know, and so it, it was just, you know, for, for all of the thoughts that, you know, somehow things get better with time with regard to tolerance and things like that, you know, not always. I mean, you know, I mean, I can remember in my high school, it was very kind of live and let live. Yes, there were... Clicks that hung out with each other, but it it wasn't like you persecuted the people who weren't in your group. Mm -hmm. It it wasn't, I mean, it was just kind of like, you know, everybody just hang out with whoever you feel comfortable hanging out with. And people might quietly look down on each other or something like that. But there wasn't all of this kind of hazing and bullying and persecution and, you know, but we didn't have, you know, social media and all this stuff where you could just kind of publicly be so mean and cruel to each other. Uh, And uh, and so it was just, you know, people say it was, you know, a simpler time and and all that kind of nostalgic kind of stuff. But it was And, and honestly, probably all the better for it.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely, and um, you get a you get a comedy that's not that's actually kind of unique if you think about it. it it's again like like uh, like the other co- uh, like college or school cole- um like you know collegiate film that we just covered back to school. Um, it's it's thoughts on education are like. Are very I, I hate to use the word wholesome, but they're very uh, they're very pro school. Like these two films are not anti school. They're yeah. they're about like wanting kids to get educations and kind of mm-hmm. in the best oh, way I mean, possible. I can
0: tell you that the something like summer school is would be like progressive. Yeah, you know this idea of meeting kids where they are. Yes, you know my. my uh, she's a, a lifelong educator, and uh, and and works here at a local college. And part of what she does at the local college uh, is goes into classrooms and models certain teaching strategies uh, for teachers. It's kind of like continuing education for teachers, and and she will always say, you know, the some curriculum, some approach that they're taking, and she'll just shake her head like these kids aren't going to identify with that. You know, this is nothing like what their lives are like. You know, this is just not going to go kind of a thing. And so her, you know, kind of mantra is always, you got to meet these kids where they are, you know, in the world that, you know, they live in, the technology that they use, uh, the things that they're exposed to, all of that kind of stuff, and then show them why what you're offering is relevant to them. And so that, you know, in a weird way, you know, she would probably look, you know, she saw summer school for the first time with me as, as a teenager go into the movies. Uh, but if she'd been able to do this rewatch with me, this go around, I'm sure she would have said, you know, that's actually a really effective way to teach. I mean, he's finding it through ineptitude. Uh, But her point would be, you know, this this bonding with them, getting to know them as individuals, you know, uh, caring about what they're dealing with uh, is the only way that you're going to get inroads with kids and and make them want to learn.
1: Yeah, absolutely, um, and like which we've gotten really deep for
0: summer school by Carl Reiner, <laughs> but, uh, but but it's but once again it's just kind of part of the time capsule aspect of this is is things have just changed so much everything being you know standardized tests and you know somehow objectively measuring everybody's progress and all of this kind of business uh, and if you go back and look at this it's really the best you know kind of model. Uh, of of how to reach the kids who are outsiders
1: uh no absolutely um like like you know talking about like stuff that's like stuff that's that's of a time one of the biggest things that i noticed with my rewatch that i was like oh wow this is not aged well at all was the um uh mr shoop and pam living with him <laughs> man yeah. that was yeah. something like yeah. I, I was just like, "Oh shit, this is definitely highly like it made me uncomfortable." Like I couldn't reconcile like, "Oh, this was the 80s." Even and maybe that's the whole point is that like it's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable even though like the weirdest fucking part about this whole that whole fucking thing is when she says, oh, well, like, you know, like, uh, this is my wish. And then he's like, oh, okay. And then she goes and sees her family who's just waving her off because they, they're fucking rabbits. They have 19 (laughs) fucking kids. And I looked at, like, I was like, Okay, so you guys are very definition of the shittiest modern parents I've ever seen in my life. This this girl should not be here. She should not be this way. You have no like like it really worried me. I was like, "Oh my god. Like what is going on here?" But I th- like the nice thing is is that like, you know, um uh Robin, who's played by Christy Alley, is a fellow teacher of uh, Mister Shoop. and she calls him on the shit, like everything that he's doing. Like she mm-hmm. is almost like the conscience, yep. a conscience of the fi- of the film. And she goes, "What are you doing, Freddie? This girl is sixteen. You're, you're you're you don't understand." And then Mister Shoop is just like, "Ah, oh, you, you know." It's it's really ironic to me. Like any like younger audiences are gonna know like. I find it funny that Mark Harmon turned into NCIS big swingin' dick. Like, you know, Mr. Authority. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, you know, and the funny thing was
0: this wasn't really what he was like even back then. No. I mean, this was like him actually literally playing a part. I mean, he was like Mr. Sex symbol, Mr. Mr. Front cover of GQ, you know, always in some, you know, super expensive suit and a tie. And he was just this, you know, kind of fashion, uh, you know, I don't know that I'd say icon, but just fashion presence and this, this cool dude and everything. And so when you see him, bumming around in, you know, Hawaiian shirts and, and cargo shorts or whatever, uh, you know, that's almost already a laugh if you knew who Mark Harmon was at the time. And so they have them playing this really kind of dumbed down character, but he's dumbed down and kind of more of like a slacker vibe.
1: No, absolutely. And, uh,
0: And, and, and I think that's part of the issue is is he's supposed to be growing and learning along with them. He's never really been a responsible adult. You know, he's another one of these kind of, you know, man-child protagonist characters uh, who kind of never fully grew up. And so that's what they're doing for him is you know the the old concept of, you know, true maturity and wisdom and stuff like that is when you start thinking about doing things for others rather than everything being selfish and for you. And so it's kind of like he comes in this thing, woe is me. I'm missing my trip to Hawaii. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I want to hang out on the beach. I'm only here because they've threatened my tenure. And so he's kind of almost like an adult version of them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and
0: so he's got to grow along with them. Uh, and so, uh, and so that is one of those awakening moments where it's more naivete than stupidity. You know, it's like he doesn't think of his student that way, and that anything is going to go on. So he's just going, oh, it's a big deal. She just needed a place to crash, and she's pointing out that may not be how she's thinking about this definitely. And and so then it's like the light bulb goes on and he you know isn't just thinking about himself and his own views of things and and realizes oh yeah no that's not good we we wouldn't want to create that impression. <laughs> so um so it's interesting because you know I mean he's learning as much from them as they are from him.
1: Yeah, no they definitely they definitely are. Um it it is funny to like like so like I I only learned about Mark Harmon after, like, when I got a little bit older, um, about, like, his status. Like, I mean, he's the reason, like, like, his, like, whole Saint Elsewhere, like, run, um, like, you know, like, like the the joke about Playgirl, it's because he was on the cover of Playgirl. Like, stuff that, like, I now know now plays a lot funnier than when, like, when I initially saw it. Like, because Shoop was not the the thing that was the main attraction to me in summer school like summer school was all about the kids when i was younger right. but now that i watch it now it's hilarious because like you are right like this is like a one-off this this is definitely something that he's not known for I me mean, he was known for saying elsewhere where he was like like him and denzel were like the one two like stars of that show mm-hmm. like they right. were like like they were always constantly you know they were they were the one and two or two and one or whatever you would want to say um and then he does the bundy movie like i like that bundy movie is great uh Deli- the deliberate stranger uh where he mm-hmm. plays ted bundy which he was cast because of the fact that ted bundy was so good looking and yep. he was cast because of his good looks but i mean he does great there um and then but then it's oh, yeah. like this
0: was, yeah, summer school is very much like a casting against type.
1: Exactly. Um, he was
0: he was much more of a serious uh, kind of person, actor and what have you at that time. And so this was kind of like, you know, watching him in eff- in essence, kind of do like an adult Jeff Spicoli or something.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, uh, Like uh, and it's also funny because like at the same time and I didn't reconcile it when I was a kid like that like how different it was was that another one of the movies that I loved as a kid was The Presidio um because of Sean mm-hmm. Connery um yeah, even sure. though even though Connery has a very small part in it um it's not really a small small part he, he he's more of a co-star in that movie uh than he is like a full on like Mark Harmon is the star of the movie, uh, essentially. But that's, like, a great... Like, that's more, like, Mark Harmon's speed. Like, if you were... Like, if we were to, like, do TV actors... And movies that they have starred in, like if we did a Mark Harmon episode, that would be the episode that I would. Uh, that would be the movie that I would choose, just because it is so much like his NCIS character. I think he even plays like an NCIS officer in the Presidio. That it's almost like it's like you could make the head canon of like this is like this is like a prequel to who who Gibbs would end up being. I, I like as a weird strange right. fact. Right. I. I fucking love NCIS like it's one of those just leave it on in the background and let it go but um it was,
0: it was funny to see uh, one of the kids in his class winds up with uh, 10 years on JAG. Yes,
1: right? Like yeah. that like that's like the weirdest thing. Well, I mean, okay, so like let's talk about the cast a little bit. Like if you look at Summer School as a cast, like there's there's quite a bit of like there there're quite a few actors that end up working in in hollywood a lot oh, yeah. longer like i mean we, we talked Dave about
0: is about the only one who kind of flamed out within 10 years of summer school
1: yes yeah gary Ryan most of
0: the rest of them still have uh uh, still have careers to this day.
1: No, absolutely. Um, Courtney Thorne Smith. I mean, who's who plays Pam? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's she's a perennial TV actress. Um, like the big one that I completely forgot about, and who I had a major crush on, even though she was pregnant, was uh, Shawnee Smith, who mm-hmm. who ends up becoming like. Who next? The next year does the Blob, which is a great remake. We've got to definitely right. talk about that one once, right. once, once it gets time to talk about those kinds of films. But you know, it would be another like say twenty years. But then twenty years later, she becomes this huge horror icon in the Saw franchise. Yep. Um uh, like, you know, of course, Christy Alley is like, you know, uh, somebody who constantly like, you know, is constantly a big actor uh within TV. Um but I mean like there's just a bunch of there's a bunch of actors in here that are not just like they're not just like random comedy day players. Like they they actually like Reiner Reiner cast the film very specifically and like like in any of his films like I really have like I came very late to the Carl Reiner game um like it was he was not a he was not an a like a he was not a uh, presence in my film diet. It wasn't until probably later in my life like I'd say like in college I found him. Like, with The Jerk, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, uh, The Man with Two Brains, All of Me. Um, I didn't know Selma Rental was a movie of his until later on. But, right. um, like, his, like, I always like the fact that his films, and I appreciate this from him, is that when he casts, he casts so deep. Like, there's not ever a role that isn't really thought thought out and thoughtful. In his movies, and and here is no different. And I think that that's kind of what makes Summer School so good is that each one of the kids have their own separate problems as to the reason why they've been labeled a problem, and each of them react and are characters in their own specific way, and like it just makes it a little bit more of a fulfilling movie that gets all of this in ninety seven minutes, less than an hour and forty minutes.
0: Yeah, no, it does a a good job of juggling a cast that almost seems to be too big. Yes, making making individuals of each of these people, uh, and and only taking like you're saying small amounts of time to do it. Uh, and it's funny to you know think of something like summer school, just an '80s comedy, uh, and and discuss how it's edited. Oh but, yeah, but part of it is that it's it's it really packs in uh, lots of little details about each of the characters uh but in a way that doesn't make it seem like just some kind of disjointed collage of a movie
1: no absolutely not um it, it and like a lot should be also said is uh, another thing that it shares with um our other collegiate movie <laughs> or our other scholastic movie i should say is um it has a score from Danny Elfman and
0: <laughs> exactly
1: and again, Danny elfman's score here is not your typical Mickey Mouse score it's it's this like it's this very peppy like I'd almost call it like what Buster Keaton used uh, used as the freshman. it's like this very collegiate very scholastic but like John Phillips Sousa kind of poppiness to it. That makes you like it, it ropes you in, in the way that it makes you feel like the enthusiasm that shoop is getting out of the kids. Right. You know, though it also has a, like a bunch of like, um, I like, we were talking offline about like, you know how you love eighties music, a bunch of needle drops that I'm like, why do I know all of these songs? <laughs> like, like, how the heck, like, like, why is this rando? Like, like, and it's not random. Like, this, the songs are all about education, but right. managed, like, somehow they managed to get all of the education songs in this movie. And they all are kind of, they were like somewhere on the 80s charts because I remember them. Sure. You know, um, But yeah, like uh, the editing of this film and and just the way that the script is constructed Mm -hmm. um, is definitely something that I feel like now I don't know they could. They could do this like now it would be produced by Apatow and it'd be in a two hours and 30 minute, a two hour and 30 minute movie uh, and would yeah, like.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And we were talking about that, you know, in one of the previous episodes uh, that it's nice to see something that doesn't overstay its welcome. Yes. Uh, You know, it would. uh there, there would have been, uh, in, a, in a Apatow version, it might have ended the same, but there would have been like a whole other third act between, uh, you know, the the events of taking the test uh, and maybe getting the results or something like that. Yes. And uh, would have been a lot more, you know, content there. And uh, whereas this one just kind of, you know, breezes along and doesn't overstay its welcome.
1: And that is also something I kind of want to talk, but not talk about specifically, because especially if people have not seen this film, um, I'd like them to like, be surprised by it but the way the film ends is not necessarily the way that you would think it's gonna end like it, yeah i it, know it yeah, ma- you're
0: right it, i'd actually forgotten that to tell you the truth yeah
1: like i did like i always forget about that like whenever i watch it because i i own it on dvd so like, occasionally right. i'll kind of like bring the
0: definition of success that comes with the the ending
1: yeah, absolutely and the way that harman takes control of it is kind of amazing and kind of like i now know like like it's one of those moments where you go like if you're a film fan you go okay i see why he like he went like he went pla he continued to go places and it's because of how versatile he is and how entertaining he is in that scene and how he manages to do exactly what you expect a lead to do but do it in a fun way that doesn't distract from the kids comedic beats because each one of them have a comedic beat that's so character based but he never it never becomes a Mr. Shoop moment it becomes like a chainsaw moment a francis moment um you know a, a pam moment like it, it's about the kids and right. that's kind of a really hard balancing act to do do and when you can get an actor that can do that that's that's gold um you know i really do like i really do appreciate this movie for it's it's what appears to be simple like simplicity in its plot and the way that it's directed but it, it there's anything but simplicity in this movie like it's a really hard artful thing to do to make this kind of movie and make it look so easy and light on its feet
0: yeah no e- exactly
1: you know, I, I mean, but then again, you know, it's like you look at Carl Reiner's like, you know, as a director, which I think that like is more of a focus with this because he was he has a cam He has a great cameo, which <laughs> so that, that is so uh,
0: every teacher of his age or maybe a little younger uh, that he was portraying in the film that I've almost ever met. You yes. know, it's like, please give me my out. You know, yep. please, please, universe, smile on me and and get me out of this profession or get me out of this profession for a little while.
1: Now, I have to ask, do you think that it sounded like his his line was so 80 hard, though they're freaking morons? Do you really like I think that he because there's an F bomb in this movie and I think mm-hmm. that he tried to test it with two F bombs. Like, I think he honestly said I think that Carl Reiner is his like funny and dirty as people don't credit, give him credit for because he comes from right. a different era. And I think he wanted to say they're fucking morons,
0: but I, yeah, I, I think it may have been, been, uh, you know, ADR'd after the fact. Yeah. Uh, you know, because of that, because I think they may have been testing. Can you get two F bombs in a PG 13 uh, or is it really just the one yeah. And uh, and so, I yeah, I agree. I I think that that may have been, you know, kind of redubbed there because uh, it, it also has kind of a bit of a cutaway from the moment that he says the word. Yeah. Uh, so that you can't quite see that it doesn't match up with his lips.
1: And the other thing, the other I think the other thing which. This is like going back to 80s comedies is always hilarious because they they don't know what the fuck to do with a PG-13. Um they really don't. They they do we're just handing them out for weird reasons, arbitrary reasons like 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 summer school has or uh, or back to school like we talked about has nudity in it like straight up like breasts and not like uh-huh. like not like a cutaway, like literally bo- mm-hmm. like breasts for like 30 seconds um but i think that summer school didn't get the r rating because they were like oh thank god rodney dangerfield's not using f-bombs and they got sam (laughs) kennison not to say any f-bombs so we're gonna give them the pg-13 except for the one use and then in summer school it's like one use but then i like i can see how carl reiner navigated the the chainsaw francis scene you know what Mm. i'm talking about but when you watch that Like that's straight up like X rating now. Like if all of that shit happened in the way that it happened, it didn't matter Mm -hmm. whether or not it's funny or not today. They would go, yeah, we can't do that. You're going to have an X rating. So you're going to have to cut that scene, (laughs) Uh, which is like, probably like, you know, like when I was a kid, that was my favorite scene. Like that just ultimately. Oh yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, that was, that was the scene that just, I can remember from the theater. Mm-hmm. That uh, that scene just just killed. I mean, people were just hooting and howling and cackling because you know of of injecting the adults who don't know who these people are, who yeah. these characters are, and so they have no clue that this is just like a prank or a setup. Especially the uh, substitute teacher uh, who's in the in the scene, and so uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that scene just, uh, everybody was rolling, uh, at, uh, at the, the times that I saw it in the theater.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's as I am like, you know, like I've seen a couple of, reiner's films like additionally like not since his passing but like you know just because special editions have come out like the jerk um i like which prompted me to go back to dead men don't wear plaid Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to watch some of these movies that he's done because he it like you know it, it his his comedy is like It's from a different era, but it's from that era. It doesn't ever feel like, because I mean, this is the man who is like, you know, this is the man who was with Sid Caesar on the show of shows, which is in the 1950s, like the beginning of fucking TV. Like he came from vaudeville, like him, uh, him and, uh, him and Brooks worked together. And I'm always amazed that those two have had like, you know, those two were writing, like they were writing partners. And they managed to create, like together in the seventies and eighties, some of them perennial comedies of that era. I mean, like you know, like uh, it's it's interesting to me that like the jerk it still stands as a comedy, but it's like comedy of the 80s like it's a very 80s comedy even though it was made in 79 all of right. me the man with two brains summer rental these are all 80s comedies that are feel- i've always been a man
0: with two brains fan
1: oh god it's so good like well i mean his work with steve martin like and that's what i kind of like mm-hmm. um and I and because pre- that teased. one's pretty that one's
0: pretty adult you oh know, yeah like as compared you know you can't write him off as Oh, Carl Reiner, you know, the purveyor of, you know, uh, uh, sweet, you know, content or, or whatever. I mean, there are times in, uh, dead men don't wear plaid, the man with two brains and the jerk where, you know, they can, they can go at least a little blue with the humor.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's like the man, um, uh, like, uh, the man with two brains. I mean, you have, you have Kathleen Turner playing, the Kathleen Turner role back when Kathleen Turner was Kathleen mm. Turner, you know, like, like mm. literally maybe two, maybe two years out of body heat, you have David Warner basically right. playing the, the David Warner role. um, Like, right. And it just happens to be that, that Steve Martin is like, like Steve Martin is the only thing that's funny in that movie. And it's not even that he's that funny. It's like the, like the old school Brooks approach to things. Like if you, like if you shoot everything straight and you play it at a heightened yes. like tone, then it's going to be funny. Um, That's what I love wh- about the man with two brains. Right. Like dead Man don't wear plaid is such a, it scratches. Like as a kid, I didn't get it, but my love of noir and crime fiction to detective stuff now, mm-hmm. like a couple of mm-hmm. years later man does it yeah. scratch like watch that itch. The
0: long goodbye and then watch that
1: <laughs> exactly but the way that like so the way that they put like alan ladd barbara standrick ray milan like and especially of course like his relationship like martin's relationship in the movie to humphrey bogart's philip marlowe is hilarious Mm -hmm. like um that's definitely something if we do do like a film noir series that i would actually add in there just as a pop because it's such a a clever stupid conceit like it's stupid on paper because it shouldn't work but how reiner is able to use like how Reiner is able to edit and then also have his cinematographer shoot the stuff. And I'm like, I'm right. I'm talking around this stuff because I kinda want you guys to watch Carl Reiner movies. And I think that we're talking about some of the best stuff. Like with the 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 trilogy of the Martin movies. Like are actually the four the quadrilogy, The Jerk, Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid, um, The Man with Two Brains and then all of me. Like all of them are Steve Martin. Carl Reiner collaborations that, like I said, like, I'm always amazed by how much they feel. They don't feel of a like you can tell when a like a comedic director hits a point where they're not touching the same zeitgeist as they used to. And Reiner at the time was in his 60s and he was still hitting a zeitgeist. And maybe that's because of the people he was working with, like somebody like Steve Martin was able to, like, work with him and do this very kind of, like, tenuous, steady way of, like, like being able to bring out the best of Reiner and Reiner was able to bring out the best of Martin.
0: Right. You no, know. I think you're right.
1: I mean, I didn't. I even completely forgot that he made Oh God. I'm not a big fan of Oh God or Oh God to you devil, whatever the other one is Mm -hmm. with that. He didn't Mm -hmm. direct, but I'm not a big fan of those. Like, um, did you you like Denver
0: and George Burns? did not just knock you out.
1: No, not really. (laughs) Not really. Uh, A Ralph Bellamy. Uh, No, no, I, I it's like, that's what you. Okay. So like, to be honest, Like, Oh God, is exactly what you would expect Carl Reiner to direct. If you were just to look at Carl Reiner's career before and to see, like... To see what he would produce, like you would think that that's exactly what he would produce, like very middle of the road comedy, nothing like n- nothing acronistic, nothing like modern or with modern sensibilities, um, right? You know, like you get John Denver to star in your movie. <laughs> I mean, come on, you know, it like was like okay. So you were you you were like what about eight or nine around the time I've that that movie seen
0: that baby in theaters.
1: Was it a big thing for your parents? Like, were they like, oh, um, shit, we need to go see Oh God?
0: No, no, definitely okay. not for my dad. My dad didn't even go with us, but mm-hmm. my mom uh, was the big movie fan. Mm-hmm. And so I think she liked, you know, George Burns from growing up with his stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Denver was popular, you know, as as a musician, but not yeah. really as an actor. And so I think she just kind of thought the premise was cute and it's only rated PG and it was something she could take me to see so that she could go to a movie. And, uh, and so we, uh, we went and, uh, saw it. So, I mean, I remember that film from an early age.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, I just, I just wonder because, I mean, I know how it started because, um, Carl Reiner and Larry Gilbert were like, you know, they they came up in Sid Caesar's The Show of Shows. So it just would make sense that those two would collaborate on something like this. But it's so just like, I'm not I'm not the biggest George Burns fan. I just like he's I don't get him.
0: <laughs> uh, he was kind of a cultural phenomenon, but those were the days of, you know, Johnny Carson. and Yeah. And all these different shows that they could go on and kind of still get away with their kind of vaudeville shtick uh, and, and stuff like that. So they didn't they didn't have to adapt, you know, yeah. there there were still kind of venues and outlets for their brand of humor. And so, uh, you know, it, it felt old fashioned uh, to a kid who was eight or 10 at the time that it was happening. But I wasn't the target audience. You no, know, I mean, he, he had his his target audience uh, that had always followed him from his days on TV.
1: And so they just, you know, went along for the ride, Um, which like, OK, so like <laughs> the funniest thing to me is, is that the like, oh, God, it was a hit. Like, yeah. it was a yeah. big like uh, so much so that they made a sequel. Like yep. I mean, so like in. 19- and, that
0: wasn't the, and those weren't the days where everything got a sequel.
1: No, it definitely not. Like, the thing was, is, like, I had to look up, like, what, like, what it made. And in 1941 dollars, it made 41 million, um, which works out to in 19 or I'm sorry, in 1977 dollars, it made 41 million, which is the equivalent today of one hundred and seventy four million dollars. <laughs> Like, that is. Un- I, remember, I
0: remember that it was popular. You know, well, also you had a situation back then of, you know, you didn't have a half a dozen new movies coming out every weekend. True. Uh, so you had long theatrical runs and time for word of mouth, and, you know, people would go see things multiple times or take friends or take kids or uh, whatever. And, and then you did kind of have, you know, if, if you want to be a Hollywood cynic about it, You know, you could look at it and say, well, you know, how can we make a comedy that's going to appeal to a number of generations? And they're like, well, there's still a whole lot of George Burns fans around, people that watch the television shows and all that kind of stuff. So we could put him in with something. Well, who's somebody who's young and kind of popular and everything? Well, what about that John Denver kid who's been at the top of the charts for however many, you know, months or years at that point with his various songs? And someone goes, I wonder, can he act? You know, I mean, you can just almost hear the Hollywood machine behind that one saying, I think we can tick a lot of the boxes uh, with, uh, you know, with this film. And so uh, it just wound up kind of hitting in a strange way.
1: No, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But like I'm on the boat for everything else that Reiner does after that movie. I mean, I can definitely say that. Uh, that, like, you know, from the jerk to, to everything else. I mean, even including somebody like, okay. So like uh, something that I was noticing when I was going through and making notes for myself was that he directed a movie called sibling rivalry. Have you ever seen that movie?
0: I, the title I don't recognize. uh, It's okay. 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 A little more.
1: So it's, it's a, it's, uh, it's starring, uh, Christy Alley and, Uh, Carrie Fisher who play um, sisters and they like, I mean, it's, it's about like, you know, a sibling rivalry where like Mm -hmm. Christy Alley's character never, like never has done anything wild. And then she meets Sam Elliott and she has this one night fling that, that ends with Sam Elliott dying. Like in bed. This sounds
0: familiar. I, I have to tell you that, you know, when I look at October of 1990, and I think, you know, at the time, you know, I was such a film freak. I can't imagine that this came to the theater and I didn't just go see it just because it was what was playing. Mm -hmm. So it sounds familiar, but I certainly haven't revisited it in, what would that be, 30 years. Uh, So I, I don't remember any of the details, but... You know, my my main introduction to Carl Reiner and not knowing that I was being introduced to Carl Reiner is my dad was such a, a Steve Martin fan. And so I remember seeing The Jerk, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, and The Man With Two Brains all in the theater. Ah,
1: nice. And
0: so, yeah, so I, I remember he would take me along. He was kind of like, oh, not well, you know, first bad language or whatever, I'll cover his ears kind of a thing or something. I mean, he just wasn't too worried about that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. uh and so uh so i would have been what 10 i guess when the jerk came out yeah and uh then about 12 and 13 when the other two came out and so i remember seeing those with him so uh my dad was a big fan of the reiner steve martin partnership there
1: which, I mean, let's be honest, like, that's kind of, like, it, it's the bread and butter. It's, like, when you look at, like, great comedies, like, yeah, like, I know it sounds weird, but it's, like, those movies are in, like, like, great modern comedies, those are probably, like, those movies are probably in the top 50. Some, like, The Jerk, like, to many, maybe in the top 20, maybe even top 10, because of its... Because of its like like uh, because of its cultural impact at the time for so many people, um, right? And, and I mean like that's kind of like if you think about it that that's kind of fucking amazing. Like that is seriously amazing coming from a guy who, like I cannot stress this enough. Like like I'm amazed that like went from vaudeville to like you know like grew up like you know by like around the vaudeville stuff. Like was was a writer on the show of shows and still is able to be meaningful at this at the at a time when like his his contemporaries were not um and then he has this like you know like I love the fact that he has this beautiful send off like Soderbergh giving him uh, like giving giving him the role in oceans 11 and 12 like you know 11 through 13 right and it being this kind of great like, without being, like, this, like, crass cash-in to another era, like, manages to be this, just this kind of beautiful way of, of sending sending a star off. If that, like, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree. Like, there are people that don't get, like, as beautiful of a send-off as he does. Like, it's, it's one of those things where you just look at it and go... Like they treat him like they treat him with the kind of um, they treat him with like the, the awe and respect that Carl Reiner deserves, you know, and but they give him a role that is a role. It's not some fucking stupid like it, it's not just this stupid thing like so- Saul is like an actual like an actual like actor like not actor, but like he's an actual part in the movie and right. it kind of leads to this whole thing of like other people managing to use him in, in other, um in other movies and other things right. that's kind of a, like, it's beautiful, like in a, in a, in a really nice way that like it gives him the second career, um, uh, you know, that at the end of the day, like for me, it's like, we're going to remember him for a lot of things, but you know, like the last part of his career, I'm going to remember him for the oceans movies.
0: Yeah, sure. No, I, I get that completely. It's nice that he didn't just have to fade away, so to speak.
1: No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I I mean, you know, it was, it was super sad when I heard that he died. Um, especially like, have you seen the whole, um, princess bride at home thing? Yes, yes, I have now, yes. Man, talk about it. Like, when I saw, like, when they released the trailer for it, I was, like, watching it. And then when I saw the last thing, it's like, talk about a sucker punch. Um, And I won't yeah. ruin it for anybody that hasn't seen it. But at the same time, he's 90 fucking eight years old. Like, he was just shy of 100. Like, yep. that's amazing to me. Like, the life. He, life. A charmed life. Like, you know, um, whenever I hear somebody passing like that. I automatically go to the people that like, like who are who are the older, like who are the ones, like what, like who's, like and then, like when I heard him, I'm like, wow, Brooks is like, could it be that Brooks is next? I mean, because Brooks is not that much younger than, or not yeah, that much yeah. younger than him. And I mean, if you have you seen the documentary with them in it? Um, oh God, what is it called? Um. It was filmed about five years. I can't
0: remember it either, but yes, I have. Okay,
1: you saw that one where they're, Mm -hmm. like, older and they're, they're just, it's them with a conversation. It's a conversation between them and, who's the other guy? Fucking Dick Cavett. Like, yeah. And to see how much time those two cats spend together, like, literally spend together, like, like, Mel Brooks is like literally going over like was literally going over to his house every day. It's yep. like Jesus watching
0: Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, Fortune. dinner together.
1: Yep. And eating dinner together, like, because Reiner was was incapacitated at that point, or or was, like, homebound. But Brooks is still driving around, like, that the thing, that's the thing that amazes to me, that amazes me, is that he was still... Yeah,
0: they even tapped into that with the uh, Seinfeld comedians in cars.
1: Yes, they did, you that's know, he right. Did,
0: he did one of his episodes with the pair of them. Yes. Uh, literally right there at the house during one of their hangouts,
1: so... Yeah, yeah and still smart as a whip like they were still like like uh brooks absolutely brooks still doing it still like you know still funny as fuck like reiner Mm -hmm. still throwing out those one-liners and like it's just like um like i know that recently they talked about olivia de Havilland passing and how that ended an era um like when brooks pass I think he's like one of the last ones of that specific comedic era and it's going to be the end of an era. And like, that's really sad. Like, you know, I mean, like not even like, like I like more of like that 50s to 60s golden era of Mm -hmm. of comedy that really defined like what ended up defining like what we talked about with Rodney Dangerfield, like how like comedy from the Catskills, like kind of like ended up defining what comedy of the seventies and eighties like ended up becoming and evolved to. Right. Yeah. But that's not to say that he's gone yet. I mean, Mel Brooks is still around. He's still like, he's still like, you know, appearing occasionally on things. So it's not like there's like double sadness that we have to talk about right now. (laughs) Right.
0: Um,
1: Anything else to wrap up about summer school? Um,
0: not really. I think that we touched on everything. It's, uh, it's one of those movies that if you've never seen it, I think that you will find it to be genuinely like laugh out loud funny the first time that you see it. Yep. Uh, if you become a kind of a junkie for it, like you and I have been over the years, it gets to the point that it's more just kind of like fun and just like a comfortable fit, mm-hmm. uh, if you're in the mood for it. Uh, but you know, I mean, after you've heard the jokes. You know a dozen times, uh, the impact is not the same as you know the first or second time that you see it. Uh, but I think it is one of those uh kind of underrated uh comedies from that 80s era.
1: No, absolutely, it definitely is. And-,
0: and so, scream and shout, factory folks, uh, listen to this podcast and give us a Blu ray of this
1: seriously because you guys have already missed the chance to have a, a Reiner commentary, but you could still get a David Francis commentary. I'm pretty sure, or a bunch of other people who are fans of this film. I mean, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Get Mark
0: Harmon on there.
1: Seriously. um, With that, uh, Scott, where can people find you this week on the internet? Yeah. uh,
0: I can be found on Twitter at mscott underscore Phillips. I do video reviews for WRBL.com. And then uh, I actually have new written content over at TheMovieIsle.com for the first time in quite some time.
1: Yes, you do. And by the time that Summer School's episode posts, um, we will be beginning our coverage of Fantasia 2020. Um, you will probably have already heard our um, pre-festival um I guess what they like to call a curtain opener where we're we're gonna be discussing um we're gonna be discussing the films that we're excited about seeing there and there are, I'm telling you guys, go look and if you if it's in your area and you're available to get passes, I would say even before you hear us talk about this and you hear see our reviews, um, try to sign up for it try to try to get a festival pass i know there's some restrictions but if you're in the if you're in the areas that you can get one do it because this is going to be like if if things are going the way that they're going this is probably going to be the second half of the year's probably opportunity yep yep best opportunity you're going to have to see some really great genre fair that probably won't be out for at least another year to 18 months I mean, and I can say that honestly. I think Scott can say that honestly, too. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, my favorite film out of Fantasia last year just hit home video this month. So, you know, that was a good, I mean, and that was like one of the ones that was raved about and very popular and everything like that. And 13 months later, uh, it's basically coming out. Uh, so, uh, and that was house of hummingbird, which I've talked about before. Yes. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a great festival. The curation runs deep and, uh, you're definitely getting to see a lot of good stuff, you know, well before, uh, it's going to be distributed, you know, mass market wise. Uh, and then some of it may not be, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, that's one of the things that's cool about de- dealing with film festivals and go into film festivals, is unfortunately for some of these artists and, and, filmmakers, uh, you know, they'll have a festival run and, and don't really catch on and, and it doesn't really come out in any major way. So, uh, sometimes it can be your only chance to see some of these things.
1: Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you can find the movie aisle and the B movie podcast on social media. Uh, the Twitter and Instagram handles are respectively the movie aisle. So, the word movie or the word the the word movie and the word aisle all together no lines no dashes on both platforms uh b movie podcast it's b movie pod the letter b the word movie and the word pod all together no lines no dashes um as you could probably tell I'm constantly like on the b movie podcast uh uh Instagram handle we're actually teasing out what we're what we're uh gonna be discussing over the next like in advance of the few weeks that uh, you're actually uh, getting to um, actually see the episodes. Normally we just hint at them, but like on the the page, because it's a series and we've already scheduled this stuff in advance, we uh, definitely are. Um, we're definitely showing you guys in advance of what we're talking about so that you can watch along with us if you want to. And next week, Um, you definitely want to find this movie, um, because I think that it, like, this one is something that we, we will, we will discuss ad nauseum because it's probably one of the best comedies, um, ever made. Like, I'm just going to put it out there because it's not really, it's, it's not really a comedy. It is a comedy, but it isn't. Um, and it's a very timely movie. Uh, so, I mean, I can, I'm going to let Scott announce this one because this is one of his favorite movies. So I'm going to hand it over to Scott to tell you what we're going to be talking about next week.
0: I assume that you're referring to James L. Brooks's broadcast news.
1: Absolutely. 150%. Yeah,
0: absolutely. A comedy that is on the, uh, Criterion label. Uh, I I don't know if it's currently playing on the Criterion channel, uh, always worth a, a check. Uh, to see if you're a subscriber to that, if it's already on there. But yeah, this is, this is one of the smartest, funniest movies uh, ever, in my opinion. And I still say that if you take out the fax machines and some other little anachronistic uh, kind of uh, technological things, uh, that you could very much see this being set in and around a newsroom today. Uh, the the prima donna anchors and things like that maybe a little bit less of a thing now than they were in the 80s, uh, but uh, but just it's it's look at you know politics and uh, and journalism and media and then the relationships of these central characters who are you know we're seeing their behind the scenes. Uh, but it's uh, it's just super smart and super funny and, and given the fact that the screenplay is so damn good it, it plays just as well now as it did when it came
1: out absolutely it is not on the criterion channel folks but um, you can always uh, purchase the disc or uh, rent it on iTunes and um, Amazon, wherever you get your stuff, but it would definitely be well worth it. And I'm pretty sure that even after we've t- like, you know, if you didn't get it then, um, after you've taught, after we've talked about it, you'll probably definitely want to actually see it because, um, like Scott, I I hold this film in supreme high regard. Um, it has one of my favorite comedic filmmakers in Albert Brooks in a in in a rare like movie that he's starring in that he didn't direct um uh, we got prime william hurt which uh we have an episode which i'm pretty sure is going to be a part of our halloween episode that we have in the we have in the bag that we talked about at the beginning of summer and scott knows exactly what i'm talking about that stars william hurt that like we discuss william hurt but we'll be discussing william hurt again because like in the 80s this guy was he was the man like and there's a reason for it um and then of yeah, course and he's so
0: good in this film. Oh
1: god so good and we'll we'll talk about like the reason why he's good and how unvain but vain he is and of course no discussion of broadcast news will not ever not be about centrally about holly hunter because that movie is the premier holly hunter movie and this is coming from a man who considers raising arizona in his top 20 movies of all time
0: yep absolutely she won an oscar for broadcast news
1: didn't she no no she did not she didn't No, who the hell she'd lose to um i cannot remember but <laughs> but <laughs> in my mind I, I oh, she won for that no the first movie she won for was for the piano oh wow i did not realize that i would have
0: just assumed that she won for broadcast news because she's so good
1: no she was nominated um Mm -hmm. uh let's see here uh but we'll get into that in who who won because i mean like literally all three of them could have won and they did not they they absolutely didn't there's actually a cameo that should have i think actually might have gotten a supporting actor nomination because he's known to get those. Like I'm going to do a five minute role and get an Oscar nomination (laughs) out of it. Um, That's Mm -hmm. in that movie that I think that people sleep on and forget about that he's in there, but we'll talk about him too. Um, It's all to say that one is going to be probably a very long episode because there's so much to discuss about it. Um, So be prepared for a very special episode. So until next time, guys, we'll talk to you soon.